So note to self, if you announce somebody that you're going to pray for, you should probably pray for that somebody. Amen. Not step down and then realize that you didn't. So, it was not intentional. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity we have to be here. Lord, we particularly right now lift up Michelle to you and asking that you would allow her to, to sense your leading and all the things that she does as she engages with people and students and lives and allow her, Lord, to, to recognize your moving around her. Give her the strength to follow you. Give her the strength and insight to be focused on you. To utilize all of the time that you give her to your glory. Allow us now, Father, as a group, to not be distracted by the things around us that that vie for our attention. Allow us to sense your spirit and your leading. To sense you in the midst of all that goes on. We do love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So I was driving down the road the other day, and I saw that there was a pothole in the road. And there was a car right in front of me, and as they came to the pothole, they didn't swerve to miss it, and the whole car went, no, I'm just kidding. It's not quite that bad, right? Though it feels like it. You drive down the road and you gauge, can I swerve around this and still not have the car coming at me? Or do I need to slow down, or straddle it, or just hope that my vehicle makes it through? We have a lot of those choices. And we, we drive down the road, we figure those things out all the time. We avoid the potholes, and there are a lot of them. I watch my kids learning to drive, and I try to help them understand what it could do to your vehicle by hitting these things. And then hope that when it comes time for them to actually be behind the wheel, they make good choices. You don't swerve too much when you're going too fast, or that's worse than in the hole, right? It's making those wise choices that you don't really get time to think about. Right? There's a lot of choices that we have in life where we know that we're going to have a choice come in. We have time to figure out what choice we're going to make in that moment. But then there are a lot of times where we don't have time to know that it's coming and it just hits us. And in that moment, we have to make a decision. Whatever that decision is, whatever choice has to be made, we have a moment to make it. And in that moment, we must choose to walk wisely. Ephesians chapter five, we started in verse 1 last week, and we're actually going to jump ahead a little bit here. I'll see if the, the guys up in the booth can keep up with me. We're going to start in verse 15. So remember, verses 1 to 14 say that we need to walk in love, and then as a command, right, walk in love, and then as a command, walk in light. And now we move to the third one, and he says this. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled 
with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we started this whole process back in chapter 4, verse 17. Where he told us to put our, or verse 21 and 22, to put off our old self and to put on our new self. And then all of chapter 5, the first half of chapter 6, it's all about what putting off the old self looks like. What is the character that is put off? What is the character that is put off? That's what we see here. It's culminating in a sense, and he says to walk wisely. As we put off the old self, and as we put on the new self, so now walk wisely. Don't just walk in love. Don't just walk in light. Walk wisely. Make those right choices in that moment when all you have is a moment to choose what is right or what is wrong. Walk wisely. It's a word that's used Sometimes frequently within our culture, depending on what, what spheres you're in, sometimes very infrequently in our culture, what does it mean to be wise? We sort of talk about wizened old men, which is usually guys who, well, in that case, it's usually just old guys, right? But when we use that word wise in our culture, we're typically talking about somebody who knows a lot. We pray for wisdom for our kids when they go and take a test, which means that they would know the right answers. They would have the right information in that moment. That's not really what wisdom is here. Wisdom here, we can find it in James chapter 1. And again, in James chapter 3, there's actually two sections about wisdom. At some point, I hope we get a chance to preach through the book of James. But it's an interesting study because effectively chapter 1 is like a table of contents for the rest of this letter. So chapter 1 hits all of the points that James is going to hit all the way through the rest of his letter. And so what we see in chapter 1, you'll always find somewhere else. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. So one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind, right? So wisdom still doesn't tell us what it is. Moving on to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 13 to 18 are really on wisdom, but verse 17 is what we're going to look at. But the wisdom from above is first pure. That doesn't sound like an intellectual thing. Then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That now sounds like wisdom has character traits of what we would be looking for in people, not just intellectual traits that we ascribe to those who know a lot. And that's because wisdom is a character trait, not an intellectual trait. So when we're back in, in uh, Ephesians, 
saying that we are to walk wisely, that's a character statement about how we're walking, not an intellectual statement about how we're walking. Because if we step back and say, oh, I just want to know a lot, we can find that we know a lot and we live it out zero. <clears throat> really, wisdom is right acting on what you know and not right knowing of things. Right knowing is intelligence, it's information, it's important, it is good. Wisdom is living that out. So when we come back to the Ephesians passage and we say that we are now to walk wisely, we're really talking about something different than walk smartly. We're to walk with right choices. When? Right now. And all the time in the future. Right? This is that present tense verb that we've talked about multiple times. It's a verb that says it's happening now, and it continues on acting until whenever the end comes. And the end, in this case, would be the end of our lives, and then somebody else would continue their walking afterwards. But it's a present tense verb. We are to walk wisely. We are to walk in right choices. Be careful then. Or look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise. Not as the one who comes to choices and makes a poor character choice. But as one who is wise. One who comes to a decision and makes a right character choice. Now note, the right character choice is still going to make wrong choices. This is not that this person is going to be correct all the time. They're going to be wrong. Their thinking is flawed. Their intelligence is limited. Their knowledge is finite. But they're making choices based on what they understand the right choice of character to be. Which means when you've got somebody, especially somebody that you would respect, you say, boy, I really respect this person. They made a terrible, stupid choice. Then you know what they did? They accidentally made a terrible choice. Don't presume that they tried to make a poor character choice. Presume that they tried to make a right character choice and they were just wrong in what they chose. We give that latitude to people. That doesn't mean you don't go back and undo some of those choices if you can. But it means you don't disparage the character of the person because their choice was wrong, unless they show that they are walking unwisely, intentionally and consistently. Now you can maybe assume this is an unwise walking person. But people who you generally see as wise presume that they are wise. So why though, not just we want to honor God, but why do we make wise character choices? Because we only have this much time. Each one of us, we're on a clock, marching toward the end of our earthly existence. We call that death, but for believers, we don't really die, right? But we're, we're marching toward the end of our physical, earthly existence, or earthly physical existence. We can only work within that amount of time. Make wise choices because the days are evil. Right? Making the best use of your time is what the ESV says. Literally, this says, redeeming your time. So buying back from what is wrong 
buying back your time to utilize it how you would be supposed to, how it would be most beneficial. That's the sort of weight that is put on our use of time. Buying it back. Not wasting it in worry. Not wasting it in unwise choices. Not wasting it in doing nothing with it or laziness. But redeeming it back from that which is broken because the days are evil. The world's time is evil. Meaning, there's sin everywhere around us. And the earth is, to use the phrase that the culture uses, going to hell in a handbasket. Because that's really what it's doing. Without Christ, that's where we all head. And so we buy back our time to use it to the building of God's kingdom. Do you know what we call that? We call it stewardship. Stewardship is not the process of saving money or of saving things. It's the process of taking them back from that which is wrong and utilizing God's things to build his kingdom. Matthew chapter 25 gives maybe the, the best parable on stewardship, but it's not one that we find especially easy. It's the parable of the ten talents. Verses 14 to 30. So the story of the ten talents goes like this. Jesus gives talents to one person, talents to another person, talents to a third person, and there, or the master does, and he says, use these. For what? For the master's benefit while he's gone. One of them does that. He uses it and makes more. One of them, the other one, the second one does that. He uses it and makes more. The third one says, hmm. This is a scary guy with lots of stuff and he can crush me. So I'm just going to hide this so when he comes back, I can give him what he gave to me. And the master says, to what? Or what to him? Leave me, wicked, lazy servant. So the not using of the talents given to us is a wicked, lazy move. Which means plopping on your couch all day, every day, because you simply don't want to engage with God's world, it's poor choice. It also means going to work and being surrounded by unbelievers and not caring about where they're going spiritually is wicked, lazy work. It also means that going to your pastoral job and being surrounded by believers and just letting them do their own thing because it's too much effort to engage with people, I just wanna hang out by myself and you stay away is wicked, lazy work in how I do it. So my job is to help people grow. To not do that is not just poor work stewardship, it's poor stewardship in general. But here's what it says in chapter 25, verse 21. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little that will put you in charge of much enter into the joy of your master. So I gave you a little. You used it. Well done. Good and faithful servant. That's the steward. Now, that's with physical things, right? That's typically how we see this. That's not actually what this passage says. It's a parable. So it's meant to be metaphorical. 
and but we we tend to take it as physical things, my my money and stuff like that. But let's go to First Peter chapter four verse ten, and we're going to see that you can be a steward of things that aren't physical. First Peter chapter four verse ten, and each of you has received a gift. This is the spiritual gift, right? The natural gifting, at least, but the spiritual gifting as well, has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So we're to be stewards of the gift that God has given to us, using it to the benefit of other people, because that's how we're good stewards of the gift that God has given to us. Which means use of what you have is what being a steward is. Not the hoarding of what you have. This is not to say that you're not supposed to save money, save energy, whatever. That is not what it's saying. We are supposed to save for a purpose. And that purpose is to be able to utilize that, whatever we're saving, in a different area and expend it in the way that would best build God's kingdom. People who die, there was a t-shirt that my, one of my friends had. And it said, he who dies with the most toys still dies. That's a little depressing. <laughs> but if you save and hoard and have the most that you can have, you still end and you can account to God for that. Because we are to walk wise, not unwise, because the days are evil. Redeem the time. We can do an entire sermon series on those two verses. But he moves on and he says, therefore, because the days are evil, because you are to walk wise, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You go back to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, right? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may approve what the will of God is. So the sacrifice, us, the sacrificing themselves ones, and they're non-conforming to the world ones, and that means non-conforming to the world's evil plans and desires, but they're transformed by the renewing of their mind, the changing of their thought process. They are the ones who understand what the will of God is. And in this case, Paul just sort of jumps all of that, and he calls the ones who don't the fools, and the ones who do the wise. Why would he call the ones who don't the fools? Well, back in Psalm chapter 14, he says, the, the author says this, it's David, and in case you don't know how psalms work, here's what it is. You'll see at the very top of this psalm, it says, to the choir master, period, of David, period. And I always wondered how they got that. Until I went to seminary. It took me going to seminary to find out that Psalm chapter 4, verse 1 in my Bible is not Psalm chapter 14, verse 1 in the Hebrew Bible. In the Hebrew Bible, Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, you know what it says? To the choir master of David. Verse 2 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. It's just a little extra, but it's interesting. But the fool says, 
There is no God. So the wise versus the unwise one, right? Don't be a fool. Don't live like that's the case. We all assumedly know that there is a God, right? Great, we're not the fools. Sweet. And we're all happy about it. And then we go out and we make whatever choices we want to make. We don't ask God to guide us and direct us. We ask ourselves to guide us and direct us. Which means we're living like what? The one who says there is no God. We can live that way. That's the old self way, right? We are to put that off. We are to put off the idea that we can make our own best choices. We are to put off the idea that we are the choosers of our own destiny. And instead, put on the new self that says there is a God. He does guide us. He is there. And I will live as though he is. I will look for his guidance and choices. I will look for his will in life. I will redeem the time to use for his kingdom. As opposed to getting more for me. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. To put off the old self, to put on the new self, to live in dependence of the Holy Spirit, not in dependence to self, to live in salvation in Christ, not by earning what we have. Right? That's all of the identity component of chapters 1 through 3. Your identity is in Jesus. You are saved through him. You are not saved through going to church, giving money, being nice, whatever. You're not even saved through repentance. You're saved through faith in Jesus. Repentance follows that. But if ever we try to put repentance in line with belief, then repentance becomes our mode of salvation and faith is our mode of salvation. Repentance comes after. All of these things come after. Our identity is in faith in Christ. Do not notice linguistically it says therefore in 17 and and in 18. He's tying, Paul is tying the command therefore because of what's come before. Here's a command and a second command. They're tied together, right? So the flow of the whole thing is be wise, not fools. Therefore, right? Therefore in 17, understand the will of the Lord. Therefore in 18, be filled with the Spirit. So that's the flow. Don't be fools. Therefore, or be wise. Therefore, know His will and be filled with the Spirit. That's the flow of the whole passage. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That is not a suggestion. Getting ready to move to the UP, I looked up UP jokes. <laughs> The one that sticks in my mind because it told me something about the culture, like it or not, says this. Two youpers walk out of a bar. Mm. No, seriously, it can happen. <laughs> <laughs> that was the joke. And I learned it before I moved here. So, so I'm, just, I'm just relaying information, right? <clears throat> Being not drunk is not a suggestion. It's not even a best choice. It's a demand. So if you choose to drink alcohol, 
Know that any time you drink too much, you didn't drink too much, you sinned. Keep that in mind. It doesn't matter if you're at home, at the bar, at a restaurant, at a friend's house. It's not only if you go driving afterwards and get caught by the police that it's a sin. No, being drunk is a sin. And God takes that very serious. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But, so that's the do not. But, and then the command, the, the positive command, be filled with the Spirit in the same way that one would be drunk with wine. Not directly, connectedly, right? But people have a tendency to say, oh, the alcohol made me do X. No, the alcohol did not make you do that. The alcohol lowered your inhibition so that your personality and your brokenness made you do that, right? In the same way, we're filled with the Spirit so that what, what is good in us, not what is broken in us, but what is good in us comes bubbling out as we're filled with the Spirit. What is inside does come out. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with Spirit? We could go back to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. This is, uh, this is they're looking for, for a way to address an issue in the early church. And the issue was about widows. Some were getting food, some were not. So what do they do? Here they say this, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and full, excuse me, full of wisdom. Full of the Spirit and of wisdom. The men that were put in charge of handing out food, which we would call deacons, or at this church, a variety of different things, but the deacon role is really what our ministry boards are. The deacon role is people who are filled with the Spirit. Still doesn't answer what it means. It just says that it's normative to mature believers. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Guess where the answer is. In the verses that come after being the verse that says be filled with the Spirit. That's the best place to find the answer. Be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is what Paul means in this case by being filled with the Spirit. We can have debates on what the whole breadth of that phrasing could mean. But in this moment, it means exactly what he says. We are to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Don't make too much out of this delineation of three different words. This is, this is that musical, poetic side of people. Not everybody is musical. Not everybody is poetic, right? This is that emotional connectedness side to what you're doing. That worshiping in the spirit that Jesus talks about in John chapter four. Did anybody see the football game played in Germany last year? The American football game played in Germany? 
I don't even remember who played, but I know Germany issued an apology to the players because the John Denver song, um, that's about roads, what it's called. Country Roads, thank you. It was there earlier, then it left me. They started playing that, and for 70 seconds, the whole stadium sang this loud enough that nobody could hear what was going on in the field. It was great. Everyone was excited and sang along with this song. They're all speaking German, but they're singing in English. And they're singing along with this song because something inside them was excited about it, so they just went forward with it. That's what's going on here. It's that excited side that just wants to join in with the music as people sing truth. We address each other with that. That's some with and to each other as, as relaying of truth and to God as we believe in Him. We give thanks at all times for everything. So when do we not? Never. What do we not thank God for? Nothing. And in case you think that's overstated, Paul's about to be killed for his faith in Christ, and he still says, give thanks for everything. Why? Because, go back to Ephesians 1, God in verse 14 has guaranteed our salvation for those of us who believe, and in verse 11 has guaranteed that he is in control of what? Of everything, even the bad stuff? Yes. So we give thanks at all times to him, and we submit to one another. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means that we address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. Psalm chapter 100 verse 1 says, Brock, it's okay that you can't sing on tune. You're to make a joyful noise to the Lord in all things that you do. Make a joyful noise. It means that we give thanks to God all the time. Why? Because we are so fixated on the salvation that he's given us, so fixated on his movement in the world, that we become but a piece, not a central, a piece. So when life goes wrong for us, we still can give thanks to God for what he's doing. And then we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We address one another and we submit to one another. And the submitting cannot be missed because that verse, the submitting to one another, leads us into wives submitting to husbands, husbands and wives submitting in church, submitting to Christ, children submitting to parents, and masters or servants submitting to masters. Going all the way through chapter 9 and verse 6, it's all about submission. with the context of us submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Why do we do that? We do that because it's not about us. Because we're filled with spirit. Living lives as wise people, not foolish people. Walking in a manner worthy of our calling making right choices in the moment because we care more about Jesus and other people than we do ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to live out these verses, 
As much, Father, as it's not enjoyable sometimes to live out these verses, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to live them out in reverence to you, in submission to you, allowing our focus to be on you, Father. We pray, Lord, that you would be the one who receives honor and glory for all things that go on, that you would be the one who is central in our thinking and in our acting, in our choice making. And that, Father, you would use this body of people to work in this community, in this world, in the lives of the people around us. Use us, Father, to point to you, to bring you honor and glory. Allow us to see people put their faith in you. Allow those who put their faith in you to grow in you. Allow us as men and women who are trusting and growing in you to be a body, a family of people united around you. We love you. And send the amazing and holy name of your son we pray. Amen.